You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord In the 2006 Pixar movie Cars, which was one of my kids' favorites when they were uh, young, there's this scene in which the star of the show, Lightning McQueen, he's a superstar race car is talking to himself, he's complaining about the bad situation he's in, and as he's complaining, he's slowly going past uh, an old, old 1923 Ford Model T named Lizzie. She's been around a long time, and she looks like she's watching him, and she says, you keep talking to yourself, people will think you're crazy. And Lightning McQueen, arrogant and annoyed, says, thanks for the tip. And Lizzie, suddenly realizing that he's there, replies, what? I wasn't talking to you. (laughs) Sometimes we talk to ourselves, right? Sometimes we talk to ourselves about what's going on in the day, or we think out loud to ourselves. Sometimes we talk to ourselves about the church and about God. Sometimes we might say something like, if the people in this church ever found out who I really am on the inside, they would never accept me. Sometimes we say things like, if I step into a church building, lightning from heaven will strike me dead. I actually had somebody tell me that once. That's what he'd been telling himself. What do you tell yourself about God and about sin, and specifically your own sin? There are typically two problems with how we think about our sin. The first problem is we don't take it seriously enough. We minimize it to the point that we decide that it's no big deal. It's okay for us to do whatever we want. It's okay for us to tell this little lie. It's okay for us to do this little bad thing. It's not as bad as what most people do, you know. And so if there is a God out there, he either doesn't care or he won't hold us accountable for it. It's not that big a deal. But the Bible teaches us that all sin is a huge deal. Sin is anything we do that defies the authority of God, our creator. And sin always uh, corrupts us on the inside, does harm to ourselves and or someone else, and offends God. Because he created us in his image, and he is holy, and he created us to be holy. And so when we don't live holy, when we do wrong, we corrupt the image of God within us by our sin. And that's not what God made us for, so that offends him. And then the second problem we have with how we think about our sin is sometimes we do take our sin seriously, but we inflate it as a key part of our identity to the point that It, instead of God, defines who we are. And then we forget how good our God is. That he who created us knows our sin and longs to cleanse us and redeem us and redefine who we are on his own terms so that we uh, become the people that he created us to be. And so we have these two problems with how we deal with our own sin. And there are a lot of times when we take the first route, we minimize the significance of our sin because deep down we can't escape the second route, 
where we really do know how big our sin is, where despite our denials, we have this innate sense that I have done wrong and I am ashamed. In fact, I am a shameful person because of what I've done. And so because we feel that way, we bury the significance of our sin as deep as we can in our hearts so that we won't have to confront it. Because if we confront it, we'll be overwhelmed and ruined by it. And so we have this deep-seated fear of our sin and of God. A couple of examples of how this works. When I was 15 years old, some of you have heard me tell this story before. I was angry with my parents one day. I don't remember what it was over. Uh, but I was mad. I went to my room, I slammed the door, and I kicked a hole in the wall. Now, my mom must have heard it because my dad is deaf, but he came in a minute later to see what had happened. So I think she must have told him something happened. And I had hidden the hole. I'd put a bag of something in front of the hole to hide it. Why would I do that? Why would I hide what I had done? Well, because I was ashamed of it, right? And I was probably afraid of what would happen if it got found out. Well, Dad saw the bag. Notice that hadn't been there before. He moved the bag, found the hole. Asked me, how'd that hole get there? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Still hiding, right? Why did I lie? I was ashamed of what I had done, what it said about who I was. I was, I was afraid of my parents, afraid of being punished. And naturally, it only took Dad a minute or two to get me to confess that, obviously, you know, I had done this. There weren't really any other options. And... Over the next couple of weeks, I got to learn how to fix a hole in the wall. The best part of the story is that my parents forgave me and still loved me. Let me stay in that room, even though I'd kicked a hole in the wall. And you're not surprised at all by that, because that's what loving parents do, right? In Genesis chapter 3 is the story of Adam and Eve and the first human sin. God had told Adam that they were not to eat from this one tree in the garden. They could eat from all of them, not this one. They could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They weren't to even touch the fruit. But the serpent deceived Eve, and the fruit looked good, and so she ate some and gave some to Adam, who was right there with her. And God knew what happened, of course. You can't hide anything from God. He created all things. He sees all things. He knew what happened. He came into the Garden of Eden looking for them. What did they do? They hid from him. Why did they hide? They were ashamed. They knew their sin. They were ashamed and they were afraid. It's the same reason that I hid that hole and lied about it. And you can't hide from God, right? And yet we try because we're scared. And we're ashamed, so we hide. And I'm convinced that a huge reason why many people who believe in God don't follow him is simply because they're afraid, like Adam and Eve were. They believe in God. They believe he's out there. They believe he holds people accountable. And so they hide. In fact, they, 
Uh, they're afraid of their sin in, in two ways. They're afraid of what their sin says about them, that they're bad inside, that they're unworthy, that they're unable to control themselves, that they're corrupt, that they're shameful. And they're afraid of what God will do to them because of their sin. This is why people talk to themselves and say things like, if I went to church and the people found out who I really am, they wouldn't accept me. Now they're unworthy. And why they tell themselves, if I reach out for God, he will despise me and destroy me. I just walk into the church building and lightning will come down from heaven and, and I'll be dead. I don't think most people actually think that literally, right? They don't sit down and think through all of that. But this thought process occurs deep in the human heart. It's, just, it's almost instinctive to us. It's like Adam and Eve. We, we just know we've done wrong and so we're afraid and we hide from God and we hide from God's people because we have a sense that God's there among his people. And so the central mark in our identity in that case is not that we are created in God's image, but that we have sinned and are worthy of shame and punishment. And so this lesson today is about being afraid of sin and about being afraid of God. We'll have a few lessons in this series on fear that focus on how we ought to deal with fears of some of the scariest things in life, uh, the final judgment, um, the end of the world, and today sin. How should we deal with our fear of sin? Our text this morning is Psalm 103. And a psalm in the Bible is a Hebrew prayer or song set to poetry. David, uh, who uh, uh, Jack talked about a few minutes ago, wrote a lot of the psalms in the Bible's book of psalms. And he wrote Psalm 22 that Jack read from for us. And he wrote uh, this one, Psalm 103. And in Psalm 103, David models how we should deal with our fear of sin. And you might notice that in the first five verses, he talks to himself. Look at how he starts this psalm. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies, <clears throat> who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David talks to himself in these verses as he opens this psalm. And as we read them, we, we speak the same words and we talk to ourselves. And he tells himself to do two things. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise his holy name. And forget not all his benefits. If we were to pick out one central teaching in this psalm about what God's people should do, it's probably that line, forget not all his benefits, because that's what the psalm goes on to talk about. If you remember what God does for us and why it transforms your life. And David gives us a list of what God does for us. Top of the list, he forgives all your sins. Already, David is modeling how we should deal with our fear of sin. Because a lot of people minimize their sin so they don't have to confront it, be afraid of it, deal with it. It's just kind of a natural reaction. They can just ignore it, pretend it doesn't matter. That's, I'm, I'm tempted to do the same thing. David doesn't do that. Just the opposite. Right near the beginning of this psalm, he mentions sin. And, and he lets himself feel the weight of his sin a little bit so that he can be real with it 
which then allows him to experience the full freedom that comes when God forgives it. God forgives all your sins, not just the little ones. It's not like he's going to forgive the little ones, but the big ones, they stay forever. No, he forgives them all. Not just when he's in a merciful mood. He forgives all your sins. It's what he does. And then he heals your whole life. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desires with good things, renews your youth. And so God does just the opposite of what our fear tells us he's going to do because of our sin. We, like Adam and Eve, when we sin, we tell ourselves, God's going to condemn us, and we will be forever ashamed of who we are and what we've done. And so we've either got to hide our sin, put a bag in front of it, hide it, or hide ourselves so God doesn't find us. But instead, God forgives us. And he places his love and compassion on our heads like a crown. And so God's immense kindness to us frees us to come out of our hiding place and draw near to him. And then, as David says here, we can praise the Lord. If we're going to deal with our fear of sin productively in a way that brings us closer to God instead of pushing us away from him, we have to acknowledge that our sin is real and that it is terrible, tragic, in fact. And then we have to acknowledge that however bad it is, it is not bigger than God. It cannot separate us from God's immense love and the forgiveness he offers. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David opens this psalm talking to himself, but now having reminded himself of how good God has been to him, He begins to speak to his people, the people of Israel. And so in verse 6, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made his ways, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. These are such encouraging things to say about our God. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not always accuse. His anger will not endure forever. Beautiful things to say about God and how he looks at us. But there's a rough story from the history of Israel behind these encouraging lines. Verse 8 recalls Exodus 34, verse 6, where God describes himself to Moses as the Lord The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. David in the psalm is quoting from God's own great self-description. 
But Exodus 34 follows immediately upon Exodus 32 and 33. And there we have a story about how Moses, when he was, uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving God's laws for Israel, and the Israelites, meanwhile, were down at the foot of the mountain breaking God's laws. They were already violating the second of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make or worship any idol by crafting a golden calf for the nation to worship. When God had spoken that commandment to them in his own voice just a few weeks earlier. It was one of the most shameful moments of Israel's history. This sin that they committed so brazenly against God who had just told them not to do this. And it sparked a bit of conversation between God and Moses about whether God would put up with these people. And when you sin against God, and I know when I sin against God, we have a similar conversation that goes on in our heads as we talk to ourselves about our sin. If this is who I am, and this is what I do, how would God ever continue to put up with me? And we are rightly ashamed. But God forgave the Israelites. He punished them to a degree, but as David says in the psalm, not as much as they deserved. He says in verse 10, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. In fact, God's love for us all is so great that it's as high as the heavens are above the earth, David says. Sometimes when you tell a small child, you're trying to tell them how much you love them. You'll say, I love you this much. And you stretch your arms out as far as you can go, right? I love you this much. David doesn't have arms big enough. He says, as far away as you can imagine, just go up until you reach the end of the heavens. That's how big God's love for us is. And his forgiveness is as vast as his love. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You get an airplane, you fly east, you can keep flying and flying and flying and you'll still have further you can go east. You'll never reach west. You can just always keep going. If you fly west, you can go forever and never reach east. North and south are different, right? They're not like that. They play by different rules. You go north far enough and you hit a spot where you can only go south up there at the pole. You go south far enough and you hit the pole and you can only go north. But east and west, they don't have stopping places. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So if you can head east, east and reach west, then you can retrieve all those sins that God removed from you when he forgave you. Otherwise, they're gone. God has taken them away 100%. When God forgives, he forgives 100%. He holds nothing back. So what do you tell yourself about God and your sin? Tell yourself that God loves us and that he loves to forgive us. And when he forgives, he forgives it all. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9 says, 
If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, we have to be honest about our sin, right? We can't say, oh, I've, I've never sinned. I don't have any sin in me. We have to be honest about it, take it seriously. But the great hope we have in our God is that if we do take it seriously and we bring it before him, we don't have to hide. We can bring it before him and confess it to him, and he will forgive it all. And he will purify us so that we are renewed and whole and able to live in his image as he created us to. Now, David and, and John here both put one condition on God's forgiveness. John says we have to confess our sins. I don't think he means every single sin because we probably sin and don't even know it sometimes. But we just need to confess uh, our sin to God and uh, ask for his forgiveness. David says God's love is great for those who fear him. And so both David and John are saying our relationship with God has to be right we have to be honoring him, trying to live for him, being honest about our sin, trying to walk with God. But less than two weeks ago, well, we talked about what it means to fear the Lord. It means to honor his authority in our lives uh, and his power to, to judge uh, and then act appropriately by obeying his commands. That's what it means to fear the Lord. As this psalm continues, David will join God's love and forgiveness together with our responsibility to fear him and to obey him. And so look how he does this, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Again, David reminds us how good the Lord is to us. God is like a really excellent father who has compassion on his children, and David, again, reminds us that we have a responsibility to God if we receive his compassion. The Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God, by his nature, is loving and forgiving. But we cannot, for that reason, presume upon his love or treat him badly and expect that the God of the universe and our creator will not hold us accountable. He wants to forgive our sins and pour out his love on us. But we have to do our part. We have to fear him as we should. David goes on to say in verses 14 to 16, that God remembers that we are dust. He is fully aware that we are mortal, that we fade away quickly like the green grass and the wildflowers on the hills when the summer sunshine comes out and the warm wind blows and it all turns brown and withers away. But God's love isn't like that. God's love is from everlasting to everlasting. It goes on forever with those who fear him. And those of you whom God has blessed with grandchildren, you may have noticed verses 17 and 18. When you keep God's covenant and remember to obey his commands, he blesses your children's children. Isn't that a beautiful thought? 
That when you fear the Lord and you obey him, he blesses not just you, but also the generations after you, even your grandchildren. David begins this psalm by praising God for his goodness to us, all his benefits for us, those benefits that we ought not to forget, his forgiveness and how he does deal with our sin, but he does not treat us as our sins deserve, not if we fear him. David begins with God who he is, what he's done for us. Then he moves to us, our responsibility to this God who loves us and forgives our sins. We have a responsibility to fear him and to obey him. This is always the way it works in scripture. God always comes first. He reaches out to us first and then based on what he's done for us, he calls us to respond to him. He loves us and he forgives us and then he calls us to fear him and to obey him. And the funny thing is, if we fear God as we should, then we don't have to fear sin. We don't have to run and hide from God because we know that if we bring our sin before him honestly and confess it, if we're sincerely trying to walk with him in obedience to him, then we don't have to be afraid. Now, as long as we resist God's authority in our lives, Try to go our own way, the situation's different. Right? Then we're pushing against God. We should be afraid of sin in that case because God's judgment is coming. But if we fear God the way we should, then sin loses its teeth. It can't destroy us. It can't bury us in shame because God loves us and forgives us and heals us and gives us a new start in life. So if you have a friend who says they can't come to church because if they stepped into the building, lightning would fall from heaven and, and they, would just, they would just be dead, tell them how much God loves those who seek him, how he forgives us. Tell them that you and I are no better. We are not sinless people. God has called us to be holy and we, we want to be perfect in that, but sometimes we stumble. God help us. We want to do uh, what is right. But sometimes we stumble. God does not treat us as our sins deserve, though, if we fear and obey him. And we don't need to hide from God. He knows all our sin already, yet he loves us so much that he invites us to come to him and receive forgiveness. Here's the end of Psalm 103, verse 19. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. David talks to himself again, right at the end in that last line, praise the Lord, my soul. He finishes where he began. But first, he's so thrilled at the forgiving compassion of God that he cries out to the angels, praise the Lord, you his, his angels, and you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Turns out angels obey God too. And angels can praise God too, just like we can. And then David calls on the whole world to praise the Lord. And then he turns back, to himself and says, praise the Lord, O my soul. How should we deal with our fear of sin? What do you tell yourself about God 
and your sin. Adam and Eve hid from God. They did not yet understand the depth of God's love or the vast range of his forgiveness. We do not need to hide from God. He forgives us when we come to him. If we continue to, and if we continue to fear him and to obey him, he forgives us continually. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So when you sin, God forbid, may it never happen, if and when you sin, and you talk to yourself about your sin, what will you say? Remind yourself that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He forgave Israel and he forgives us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And so the most central identifying mark in our lives when we come to God is no longer our sin, but God's magnificent love for us. That's what defines us. That's what sets our identity. It was because he loved us so much that when evil people killed Jesus, his son, who had lived a perfect life, God in his mercy did not strike them dead or destroy the world, though he could have. But in his mercy, he chose to consider Jesus' death a sacrifice in payment for our sin. So that as we follow Jesus, God forgives all our sins, 100%. After Jesus died, God raised him from the dead to be our king. And if we fear him, as we should, we have nothing to fear from him. And we have nothing to fear from our sin, for it has been forgiven. May God bless you as you fear the Lord and walk with him. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we are struck again today by the richness of your love and the graciousness of your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would so fill us with a sense of your um, desire for us that we would not be afraid to come to you though we have sinned. But help us, Lord, to understand your love that instead of hiding from you, we would come closer to you and be forgiven by you and be cleansed and be renewed and be transformed and let your spirit work in our lives to make us the people you created us to be. How we long to do what is right in your sight, Lord. Forgive us when we stumble. Lord, not one of us uh, here today is without sin. Uh, not one of us, Lord, can come before you and say, I am worthy to stand in your presence. And yet you invite us into your presence as your children. Thank you. Thank you for being our Father who forgives us and who welcomes us and who loves us. We know, Lord, that that love and forgiveness comes with a responsibility, and so we pray for your help, that we might walk with you faithfully and always fear you and obey your commands. And we know, Lord, that as we do so, that leads us into a better life. And we thank you for your goodness shown to us through your mercy and through your commands. Teach us your ways, O God, and let us walk with you. We pray, Lord, for your blessing upon us this week, that you would go with us and care for us and that you would always help us to walk faithfully with you. 
Give us confidence to come into your presence knowing that we are loved and forgiven and welcome. In Jesus' name, amen.